0: There was a man named Solomon who built a mighty temple. But before long, the people of Judah turned away from God and began to worship foreign gods and idols. One day, God allowed the Babylonians to attack Judah and destroy the whole city, including God's temple. The people of Judah remained in captivity. Until, one day, God raised up the prophet Haggai to inspire the people to get back to work, saying, The time is now. Good morning, guys. Thanks for honoring God today by coming to a worship gathering for Him. Are you ready for some Super Bowl? You guys ready? Yeah, it's coming tonight, and I don't know, L-I, I mean, I like the X's and the V's. It seems like there's something missing there. But there's the 51st, and of course, we have got the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots facing off this evening. Kraft Heinz came up with an ingenious idea. They basically are having people sign a petition if they, because they want a, a national day off on Monday, because the Super Bowl is just so fun, so exciting, we're just wasted the next day. In fact, 16 million people don't go to work on Monday. They're recovering from whatever they call it, Smunday, <laughs> and they get 100,000 signatures and they go to Congress. With it. I tell you, that's great advertising. You know, they're not even running a commercial. All right, how about those Green Bay Packers? Any fans here? Yeah. You know, I just want to say we're here for you. We really are. You know, I mean, with the Bears, it was, I mean, there was nothing to get excited about. We didn't expect anything, so what's the big deal, you know? But you guys got so close. So if you get, come up to me afterwards and I'll console you. <laughs> Alright, we usually talk about the favorite part of the Super Bowl every year. Now again, choose just one and acknowledge that that's your choice by clapping. Alright, choose one. We've got the game, the commercials, and the food. So, clap loudly if you like the game. That was stronger than last service. How about the commercials? How about the food? (laughs) You guys are blowing me away. It's the commercials for the last service, but man, I tell you, yeah, you'll get some food tonight, don't worry. Yeah, great game ahead. Well, we are in a new series. Last week we completed our Discipleship Pathway series. If you weren't, be, weren't able to be here for any of those Sundays, that really is a foundational series as we move forward as a church and our vision for disciple-making. So be sure to, to catch it on the web. Uh, But we're studying the book of Haggai today. You can say Haggai, Haggai, they're both good. Uh, The time is now, February 5th, the hard right. February 12th, preserving, persevering that is, through hard times. February 19th, the blessing of obedience. This book is only two chapters long. Two chapters Jude's the shortest book in the New Testament, one chapter. So you read those three chapters and you say, oh, I read two books in the Bible today. Yeah. I love reading my Bible. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Where is this book, Haggai, found in Scripture? Let me give you a hint. It's after Zephaniah and before Zechariah. Does that help you? Yeah, probably not. Uh, you should uh, print this out at home. Just put uh, books of the Bible, and it shows you the categories. You have the Law, Genesis, Exodus, and the History, Second, First, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and so forth. And you have poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Then you have the Major Prophets, and then you have the Minor Prophets. Uh, you now, a lot of people wanted to be prophets back in that day, and there was a strong uh, <clears throat> Farm, farm structure out there for profit. So the people who were the major prophets, they were the ones who actually got the go from God. And the minors, well, you know. No, not really. Uh, the minor prophets are the small books. And the major prophets are the big books. And prophets, they were very important back in the Old Testament. Because they spoke for God. They actually spoke the words of God to the people. And so you had all these kings that we see throughout the Old Testament, and they all had prophets. And there were a lot of bad kings over Israel. <laughs> they just hated those prophets so much <laughs> because they would always bring God's news and not uh, what they were doing. Now, there you see the nine minor prophets got Jonah in there. Haggai 1 1. Good place to start. In the second year of Darius, this is the king of Persia. Uh, the king in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. Now that's pretty specific, isn't it? In fact, I think hey, yeah, it must be one of the the one books that we really know when it was started. There's a time frame. You go back, based on those historical details, August 29, 520 B.C. I wish they would have told us whether it was the afternoon or the morning. <laughs> I mean, that's specific, right? And that speaks to the authenticity of the Scripture and the inerrancy and the inspiration of God. And that's 2,500 years ago. Now, with Nehemiah, remember we studied him. Last year, what a great story. Coming back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and accomplishing it in 52 days, even with all the Samaritans giving them a hard time about it. Then Malachi, remember that's a book about the fact that they were not worshiping God. right? They were just going through the motions. And then there were 400 years of silence. That means there was no prophet. And that was extremely unusual. And people took note of that. They said, hey, what is going on? We don't have any prophets. Well, God was getting ready to bring someone very special to earth, our Savior. Now, let me give you some back, more backstory As we look at uh, Israel, uh, David, of course, had built Israel into a strong nation, and he wanted to build a tabernacle to God. You know, they had, the, they had the tabernacle, and he wanted to build a temple. And God said, no, you can't do that. You're a man of war. Your son Solomon will build it. So that's what he did, and it was incredible. It was like one of the wonders of the world back in that day. He had all these expensive materials that it was made out of, and people came from all over the world, to see it. It was Israel at its zenith. Things were good. Remember Solomon? He prayed to God. God asked him, what do you want? Think <laughs> of that question, huh? What do you want? Anything. What do you say? Wisdom. That's right. Wisdom. And it's very interesting to look at the the life of Solomon, because even though he was the wisest person other than Jesus Christ that lived on this earth, he fell into sin at the end of his life. He started marrying women from other countries, taking other gods in. And you're thinking, why? You got God's wisdom because he had a sinful nature, right? You can have all the wisdom in the world, but still turn against God. What happened was is that uh, after Solomon died, there was a civil war, and you have a northern kingdom. Excuse me. Oh, there it is. Okay, <laughs> here. Years after the Civil War. You had Israel, that was the northern kingdom, and you had Judah, which was the uh, southern kingdom. So there were two different nations, and God kept telling the prophets, the people, I'm going to send you into captivity if you continue to disobey. And that's what happened in uh, 586, about 20 years before it, all the people of Israel were taken over to Assyria and they just kind of expanded out and never really came back. But the people in Judah were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and they went and there stayed about 50 years of that time to make a total of 70. So what happens? The Babylonians come in. And they devastate Jerusalem. They just devastate it. That is a picture of Hiroshima, 1945, after the atomic bomb fell. I'm pretty sure Jerusalem and the temple, after the Babylonians got done with it, looked pretty much like this. They just leveled it and... again. All these people went into captivity. They were were taken into a strange country. And there was so much heartbreak. But God had to do it to wake up His people. So, what happened was, they went to Nebuchadnezzar, but you had the Babylonians and then the Persians. They took over. And uh, so the Israelites were captive to them and Darius the king sent 50,000 Israelites back in 586 that was the destruction excuse me but he sent them back and they were to rebuild the temple and they were to rebuild Jerusalem both things Zerubbabel uh, was leading them now we read in verse 2 Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, we have to understand, they went back to Jerusalem, and they did start to build the temple again. They built the foundation of the temple. They built the altar for the temple. But then, just like Nehemiah, those Samaritans came in and... They were threatening them with everything and they just shut that thing down. The whole project because of fear. They were frozen in fear. This is 16 years later that Haggai shows up and we don't know much about him other than what we see in this book. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of God. These people. Sometimes in the house, And Lori says, Someone! Someone didn't clean up after breakfast. This is her and I, you know? It's like, <laughs> Hey honey, why don't you just say my name? Someone! It's kind of a, you know... Convicting type of thing. How dare you? My husband wouldn't do this, but someone else did this. All right. So usually God's always saying, my people, my people, my people. But this time it's these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, we're talking about the house of God. God. A pretty important place back in that day, remember? God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. I mean, that was his home. That's, that's where he dwelt. Of course, he was omnipresent, but that's where he dwelled. That's where they went to make the sacrifices. That's where they went to the, the temple area to worship. And everything happened there it was kind of the center of Jewish life because God needed a home in the tabernacle, the tent. The Holy of Holies, and Solomon rebuilt it, and it was destroyed. It was time to build a new one, and God's saying, uh, "These guys, um, they don't think it's time to rebuild the temple." <laughs> You're telling God that, and God gives you a specific command, and you read it, and the Holy Spirit grabs you by the shirt, strings <laughs> it, says, "Hey, time to rebuild." God says, no, no, oh, these people, they must have been more, more wiser than I am. They must have some insights, uh, some different timing. Because again, you know, they're people. <laughs> you ever been there? You know what the Word of God says. You know you should obey. But you don't do it. Like that. No regrets yesterday. Ah, oh, what a great time! Uh, you got to go to it next year, men. Uh, just so encouraging. Now I was in a seminar, and one of the guys asked, uh, "What if I don't want to obey God?" <laughs> I mean, we're all thinking that, but to actually say it, I thought it was great. I love this guy. Because he just put, we don't want to obey God. That's the bottom line. You know, we come up the rationalizations, but we just want, don't want to do his will. We don't want to rebuild his wall. We're just going to wait. <laughs> We're just going to wait. And God comes down to address the situation. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. I remember, he was the prophet speaking for God, the mouthpiece of God, prophet. Is it a time for you, yourselves, to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So what had happened is, is that it started to build the temple, the foundation, and then the Samaritans came just like they did with Nehemiah and threatened their lives. And so they were petrified to go back because of what the Samaritans said they would do to them. But what are they doing in the the meantime? They're living in paneled houses. And that means they're living in nice houses, you know? With all the extras. How many you like to remodel something in your house? Every woman has to raise always... her <laughs> Free money here, okay? <laughs> How many you like to remodel your whole house? How about a new house? That sounds even better, right? Yeah, we like our houses. So they just said, well, we don't want to be killed, so we're just going to work on our houses. But the point is that their God, their Creator, their Sustainer, their Lover, didn't have a house. They didn't want to build the house. They're frozen by fear. All kinds of excuses. Excuses. Excuses, yeah, I mean, we all do that, right? We come up with excuses. It's been said that an excuse is a uh, uh, cover of skin, stuff of a lie, right? Yeah, we all struggle with that. And so they had excuses, you know, and they were fearful and they were too busy with other things. And here it's clearly said is it a time for you to perceive yourselves, or for yourselves, to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Whew. Now, this is a prophet. <laughs> I'm not sure what that guy's role was, and, but he was coming down to let them know what God thought. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Yeah. This is such a beautiful illustration of how much God loves us. And even (laughs) when we start going the wrong way, He wants to draw us back to Him because He loves us so much. I mean, God, He could have just struck the whole place with Lightning and wiped out all the pale homes. That would show them, right? Yeah. I'm going to build homes and I build my house. Right? Could have sent any type of catastrophe their way. But what did he do? He reasoned with them. That's our God. Not the angry God. you know, I'm going to take you down. No. Consider your thoughts. See, the problem is you know, our whole day is just... Thousands of habits that we have. So we can go throughout the day and not think about much of what we're doing because we just always have done it that way. And the problem is that if we live in that manner and don't take time to consider, to consider our ways, uh, we're going to run amok. You talk about the importance of that time alone with God. Fifteen minutes a day. Maybe you're on the Bible reading plan with us. You can join at any time. And again, if you miss, if you've, missed, if you've missed everything, you can still join. Okay, this is about reading the Bible, not reading the entire Bible. I mean, you can go all the way if you want, but I'm just trying to make it as easy as possible. That time alone with God. You know what that's for? That's time to consider your ways. It's a time to look at the perfect of God in Scripture, and for God to show love to us and help us, but also for God to say, hey, you're not doing this, and you should be doing this, and I want you to do this. Consider your ways. And as we join together here, hopefully what you're doing, i, so I got to live with this message all week long, so <laughs> it's beating me up, um, but we're here to consider our ways in reference to God's truth here, right? And this is a God who waited 16 years. He'll let them know this. Daniel Kenneman, great economist, won the Nobel Prize, brilliant psychologist, said this in his book. We are normally blind about our own blindness. And that's so true. You ever run into a really arrogant person? I mean, like over the top. They think they're the gift of the world. I mean, they continually talk about themselves. You realize they don't even see their arrogance. That's just the way I do life, man. And I'm the best at it, right? That is arrogance. But they can't even see it. And that's why we have to continue to engage with Scripture and and talk with God and say, Lord, show me my way. Show me your way. Show me any patterns in my life. And, And sometimes the best thing is for someone to confront you because you might never, ever get it. You're so used to living that way. And if somebody comes up to you in love, who knows you, don't blow them away. Okay, listen, right? Iron sharpens iron. We encourage one another. We're generally overconfident in our opinions and our impressions and judgments. <laughs> that is really true. Hey, listen, of course, we have a new president, Donald Trump, and uh, social media is just on fire. You guys agree? you Have seen that? everybody's giving their opinion about what's going down. And friends, that's not right to do, in my mind at least, because you're causing disunity. Okay, it is what it is. But I mean, what people sometimes do with social media is they use it as their bully pulpit. (laughs) Nobody else will listen to me talking on Facebook. And it just gets other people angry. Did God say you should just try to make other people angry? No. (laughs) Remember, listen closely. When you have a conflict with someone, a text is not the way to communicate with them. Right? An email. No. No. I mean, those are the worst ways you can work through a conflict. A phone call? Possibly But the best is Matthew 18, face to face. You've hurt me in this way, and I want to talk about it. It's a lot easier to slap on Facebook, isn't it? We exaggerate how knowable the world is. What psychology and behavioral economics have shown is that people don't think very carefully. Is that you? Is that me? i mean, I'm older. A lot of experience. I think I can manage my life and make wise decisions. But I'm influenced by all sorts of superficial things in their decision making and they procrastinate and don't read the small print. Does anybody ever read the small print when you're signing up for some website? I mean, or you just go down, boom, I accept. You have no idea what you're doing to your life. Who who is that type of person that will actually read the small print. All right. We admire you. We look up to you, but we'll never be like you. Because there's no time in the world to read the small print, right? And you know what? In the future, the small print can become very important. <laughs> right? This is true of all of us. And we have to, we have to be able to identify this. In our lives, you know, we're thinking we're doing the logical thing. You're doing the emotional thing. That's what you're doing. Your emotions have more about your uh, influence your decisions more than your logic. It's just a proven thing. Yeah, that's where we're at. And, you know, that's humility. Humility before God is coming to Him and saying, "You know, <laughs> I need you. I need your wisdom." Because I make some stupid decisions that again dishonor you. Haggai 1, 5 through 6, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, right? He's rationalizing, or excuse me, he's uh, uh, dialoguing with him here. Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Who can relate to the last one, huh? A bag of holes, right? You look for much and beheld it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Oh, wait a second. All these things are happening because God is in action. Because of my house it lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. God is actually saying, I'm disciplining you guys. I'm disciplining you. You keep searching after everything to get satisfaction and I make it very, very difficult. Gordon MacDonald, a beloved pastor, once said, I'm of the opinion that busyness is a deeper threat to the soul than pornography ever was. Now Pornography, of course, is a very difficult problem with guys, especially, I mean, you can get a hold of it so quickly on the Internet. And, uh, you know, if you're struggling with that and God's speaking to you, you know, I would encourage you to talk to somebody. Uh, I would encourage you to go to triple X Church. Uh, dot com And they've got a lot of great resources for that issue. But What Gordon MacDonald is saying is we can look at pornography and say, yeah, that's bad. That's not doing God's will. But we can look at a lot of other things in our life that keep us busy. You know, I want to keep busy sometimes. We don't want to think about life. We don't want to think about the realities of our life. So we just keep on accomplishing things and staying busy so we don't really have to think about God sometimes. Right? So what he's saying, there's a lot of Christians who are really busy, but they're never taking time to consider their ways. In the reflection of Scripture. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. That's what he's done. And the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. He was shutting them down. They were searching for satisfaction and he just made it harder and harder and harder. Do you think they ever realized it? I don't know. God must be doing this. I mean, nothing's working like it should be working. This is a great place. And I put my crop. I'm getting nothing. Discipline. God disciplines those He loves. Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Can you point out a time in your life when you were disciplined by God? He's a good dad. Hey, if you didn't discipline your kids, you would have a monster on loose. Totally selfish. Didn't care about other people. Whatever. That's why we discipline them, right? We've got to encourage them to manage that behavior uh, through God's power. So God does discipline us. And again, if you're an oversensitive type to stop thinking, stop oh, 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 all these that must be discipline. Okay, right? If you're, I'm doing great, you better think. <laughs> right? Because God could be disciplining you because you've wandered from Him. God would do that to me? Well, you'd do it to your kids, wouldn't you? Bring some pain in their life to wake them up and smell the coffee. He does it because He loves us. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. He says it again. Whenever anything is repeated in Scripture, that's time to say, Wow, this is the main point. This is something very central to the passage. He's saying to the Israelites through Haggai, Consider your ways. Then He says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. That's really encouraging, isn't it? Because we're all weak and struggle with different things and um, God just comes down to them and He says, Hey, listen, you guys got to start thinking about your attitude towards me and your behaviors toward me, I'm going to give you a second chance, right? God is a God of second chances. No doubt about it. That's what grace is all about. So this is what you need to do. Real basic. Go up the hill, bring the wood down and build the house. Well, they knew that. They said, could you give us a few more details? Could you give us the whole plan, please? Can you tell us how long it's going to take? How many hours of my day will I be in any physical danger? We want to control, right? We want to know what's going on, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't give you the whole picture because you can't handle the whole picture, and He wants you to trust Him day by day, even though it seems dark. I know some of you are suffering. Physically, mentally, whatever way. It's dark. You can't see God. You can't really communicate with Him, you sense. The friends, He's there. And He wants to help you. You don't understand why God would do anything like this to you. It's baffling. But God is with you.
1: Jesus answered
0: him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So many times or first John, if you love me, occasionally you'll keep my commands. Occasionally you'll obey me? No. If you love me, you will obey me. I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, that's all legalistic. No, it's not legalistic. It's the word of God. Right? That's what God says. And he loves when we obey him. Our discipleship pathway, right? It's a long road that goes to the end of your life. And I tell you what, the most significant thing you will do to grow as a disciple is to take a step of obedience. Even though... You're petrified. Even though you come up with ten different reasons why this is a really stupid idea. If God wants you to do it, if the Holy Spirit has spoken into your heart, God wants you to have faith in Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But I, I want to know what happened. you got to trust God. He's a good God. He is. But Chip Ingram was speaking yesterday on the simulcast. And when Moses said, hey, I want want to see all of you, (laughs) God says, no, you can never take that. Be destroyed. So he just passes by. And what he shows in the original language is the goodness of God. That's what he sees, that part of God. Not judgment or things of that nature, but the goodness of God. I know some of you struggle and you say, ah, I can't put that together. I can't see why this is good. That's an area of faith. And something happens and this is not my plan and this is really bad, and you just have to put your faith in Him. And when you take that step of obedience, your faith grows. I got 1.12. Zerubbabel, the son of Siddeel... Uh, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. So you got the leader, you got the high priest, they're very important of course, and led the religious life of the people, with all the remnant, those 50,000 or so that came back. What did they do? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai and the prophet as, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared God. Isn't that unbelievable? After 16 years of fear, 16 years of excuses, 16 years saying, that will never happen. God comes down and speaks to Haggai and He says, build the wall. The time is now. And they obey. You know, whenever you obey God, especially if it's uncomfortable and scary, but you put your faith in Him, He takes pleasure in that. He takes pleasure in that. You don't know what the future holds, but we just keep walking with Him. Haggai one thirteen. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you," declares the Lord. It's interesting, because of the tight timeline we have. Uh, we can tell it took 24 days to get them started on the on the temple. Wish I could put that kind of guarantee on my message, can yeah. <laughs> 24 days, right? 16 years away, and 24 days. Boom! They are started. They are moving. And I love this. "I am with you," declares the Lord. So, what had he done? He had disciplined them. He had taken them through pain and let them kind of work through all that. And then he came to them and said, Okay, I'll give you a second chance. Start rebuilding. The time is now. Verse 14 The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheolotel, governor of Judah. the spirit of Joshua, the son of Hosadak, the high priest. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. Now remember, I mean, Zerubbabel was supposed to come back and do this. Well, why didn't he get it done? I don't know why he didn't get it done. But here's the beautiful thing. When you start moving in God's direction, when you start taking those steps of faith and obedience... God is going to kick in and give you supernatural motivation, supernatural focus to deal with whatever comes your way and to overcome sinful patterns in your life. Now, as I've gone through this, I'm sure you probably have been thinking in your head, OK, you've been considering your way is like, OK, where am I off and where do I need to obey the Lord? Give me another chance. Just think about that. And if you take the first step, God's going to kick in. Right? You take the next step, and God kicks in. Because life is all about knowing God. And if we never had problems, we wouldn't really have a need for God. Right? Because we're selfish, and you know, I can do it, Whatever. We need God. So pray, pray this. Say you're thinking about something, and it's, I just can't obey that. It's just impossible. I know what the pastor's saying, but it's not happening. Everybody's sinful, so I can have this little sinful part of my life over here. You need to pray that the Spirit of God would fill you and give you the motivation you don't have to change, to become more like Jesus. To grow as a disciple. And Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let them deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We talked about that last week, right? That really is what discipleship is all about. Deny yourself. Lord, I'm submitting my life to you. I've got a lot of plans, a lot of thoughts, but hey, you're in the lead and I'll follow you. You stir up in my soul where you want me to go and what to do. And I'll follow you. I'll take risks. I'll you know, step out in faith. That's lordship. Christ is lord of your life. Take up your cross. We talked about that. That's persecution. Suffering for your faith. And follow me. That's obedience. God wants you to follow Him and obey. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the most challenging thing to do, I think, for Christ followers. Uh, to really, really look forward to heaven. And it gets easier as you grow older. <laughs> all right. When you're young, it's kind of like, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> you know? And therefore, you're, you're, you're all focused on this life as well as any age. And you're looking at your house and how you can make it better instead of looking at God's house and His kingdom and how you can contribute to it. We lose our lives. We, we do things that the secular world would think are crazy. Like Pastor Rich Willard when he was in the corporate world. You know, he went to seminary and he took an 80% pay cut. Think about that. That is obedience. That is stepping out in faith and trusting God. And God has blessed him greatly. A wonderful wife and wonderful girls. So how do you be God? You're still sitting there thinking, I really want to do, I kind of really want to do what you're saying, but... I don't know where to start. I've tried to get away from this sinful pattern for a long time. We have to go back to our discipleship formula, right? First, we start with relationships. If you have an issue in your life that has been with you for a while and stuff like that, you are never going to overcome it on your own. That is the truth of God's Word. The first thing you need to do is to tell somebody. Oh, I couldn't tell anybody. I mean, what would they think of me? You're normal. Tell your small group leader. Tell a close friend. And if you think nobody can handle this, call me a rich. I mean, we've heard about everything. <laughs> and I tell you, when people come or are struggling with something... Our heart engages with you. They don't say, oh, I can't believe it. No. My heart is full of compassion for someone who's struggling with addiction or some other issue. Because I'm a shepherd and I love to help people. So I'm serious. Get rich, myself, or mad, a call. And say, i got to sit down and tell you something. And we'll be there for you. Okay? So what you do is you have that relationship and then you look at the truth of God. God in relationship to that issue, discussion and discovery, and then you come up with an application. OK, I'm going to stop doing this. Well, how are you going to stop doing this? Well, I'm setting these different types of safeguards up and, uh, you know, you get kind of a strategy and then they hold you accountable. That is that is it. they hold you accountable. That's how you grow. And then you receive affirmation from them when you were growing. Let's pray together. Dear Father, man, (laughs) that first chapter, I love that. That spoke to me. Thank you for all the parts of the Bible. And help us just continue to dive into your Word and take steps of faith in Christ's name. Amen.